right, so we are back. We're here with Jeremy Well, Jeremy, how are you? Doing great. <clears throat> Excuse me. Great day in LA. Excited to be here. Amazing. So, Jeremy, I'm so glad you're here, man. I mean, we've been friends for a while. That's right. All the way back to the original YouTube revolution. I just remember you, you coming in and, and pitching your thing and just immediately being like, there's another person who's figuring out the, the real way things are happening. Like, amongst the buzz, you'd take meetings and meetings and people would come in and be like, oh, we're doing this. And you'd kind of like... A lot of it was fluff, and I remember when you presented, it was like, "Oh yeah, th okay, here's this is one of the good guys." Man, I didn't know that was the case. That, one of the smart. That's, guys. that's nice of you to say. So, Jeremy and I were part of the online video revolution uh, back in the early YouTube days, trying to get that thing going, get that ecosystem running, and then now you've done, you've been everywhere, man. I feel like you're all over the place the last few years. Yeah, it's been an exciting journey, and I got involved in YouTube in the, in the music business actually in 2006. I was able to help broker the first deal between YouTube and anybody. So the Warner Music Group, where I worked, was the first company that ever made a deal with You were YouTube. a music guy originally. I was a music guy originally for, for 11 years in, in the Warner Brothers system. And um, uh, so we discovered YouTube. Someone on my team brought me a video that had leaked from E40. No way. And, he, and I remember uh, he was like, yeah, it leaked. And I was like, oh, we had a premiere with MTV or something. And it, so it was kind of a big deal that it leaked. I remember he was like, yeah, but, it, but it's got 40,000 views. And believe it or not, in that time period, there was not a site with a video player that had like a view count. So my radar went off and I was like, how do you know how many views? And so we turned out it was on this thing called YouTube. And I was, I was hooked. And so we brought that to the Warner Music Group and we ended up doing a deal. This was all before Google purchased them. And so that, that was like, when, when I left Maker in 2014, it was relatively early for most people in the YouTube space. But, but for me, it was, you know, eight years in YouTube. That's amazing. I know uh, for for me, I'm not sure if I ever told you this story, but uh, when we were doing Google Video and YouTube just started, the way that YouTube got all their information about Google and what we're up to was me by accident. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> they, a good one. They, they gathered around apparently. Everyone in the like eight guys from YouTube gathered around the phone and they called me up and they were like, hey Ben, uh, we want to talk to you about maybe getting the lonely line, the lonely island into uh, in, into Google Video, and then they just they pumped me for all the information, um, and that was that was how they got going actually. Wow, I know Patreon did the same thing to me actually. Wow. Did you know that as well? I mean, I, I keep, I I am a good information source for you know. I get pumped. Well, hopefully you'll take some of my ideas and, and turn it around on me and turn them off <laughs> to good businesses today. <laughs> so, music guy, you end up. In the YouTube ecosystem, being the original, is it was it head of marketing for Maker Studios? Yeah, I was head of marketing for Maker. Um, the the YouTube, I mean, I think it's a really interesting you know kind of tale about that switch. Is um, you know I believed in YouTube and what was happening there more than the music business, at which at the time was getting sued and going out of business, and it was just very simple. It was like you could see that one was not playing with the new rules of the way that things work online, and one was and. I think it's an interesting lesson because to a certain degree, it was unfair to, to make the revenue splits so much lower than what they got for digital sale. You could see why music executives were like, we used to get 99 cents. Now when they watch it or listen to it on YouTube 10 times, we're only getting fractions of the pennies. Um, but there was no turning back. It was clear um, that there was, there, there was going to be no way like what the record industry needed to make per view up a video to replace it just wasn't, wasn't, wasn't possible. It just wasn't there. It wasn't there. Um, it's there now. You can read so many articles today about they're making 13 million a day or billion from streaming. It's huge. Like, But it's interesting. They couldn't see or the business couldn't see that it was going to be there 
and effectively operate to get there. They kind of had to destroy, and they have no other choice but to play with these streaming partners. And now the benefit of what we were all talking about then is 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 coming to. Why was that? Why do do you have, do you feel like you understand why that had to be the case? <clears throat> yeah, you know, it's part human nature. I think like. Um, I think art has value and when you're getting 99 cents per piece of art and then suddenly some other person player comes along that's a big company that's worth money and they're only paying you a fraction of that. I think I think it's human nature to to defend your original position for a lot of people. So I think that you know people talk about entrepreneurs and startups being flexible thinkers. Well, let's just remember most people aren't like that. Like good entrepreneurs are unique because they can see past the current challenge to the future. And I remember explaining um, things like, uh, I think also in that particular case, so yes, sometimes people aren't flexible to see the future. It's just, I think more people are like that than not in business often. So that's just a reality you have to overcome. I think the second thing, which is extraordinarily unique and leads to, to kind of how my career possessed is like, keep in mind that YouTube was a video site. So, so people weren't thinking about it as they didn't equate music and video. Yeah, it was like music videos cost a million dollars, and MTV pays us this much to use them. Like, but what they didn't understand was the consumption of um, music was happening as a streaming service on YouTube. It was much more than just like let me watch this hit music video. It was like I'm going to listen to some music. I will create a playlist of videos on on YouTube, and now I'm listening to music. And so it was a video site. So the idea of it being a place where people listen to music or where their consumption was happening versus watching the hit music video that was there to promote something else, people didn't get that. And I was trying to explain, even when we were doing the deal, um, I was just explaining like, like um, this is not about the single, right? So if, like, if a user uploads an album track, just one user, all of YouTube has access to that album track. So like you have to think about it as like people will assemble albums on here because all it takes is one person to want to upload a lyric video or something to that one song and eventually you'll be able to find every song and so i think it was just a bridge too far to think of a, a music video site as a place for music consumption well i i want to get into this inside of yours as it relates to different industries that are happening right now the sure. trends that are happening right now like vr ar crypto all these other all these other industries and try and apply the lessons you learned to these to these current platforms. However, uh, we'll get to that in a minute. I mean, I really want to understand more about how Maker sort of took you over the last few years to where you are today. Sure. Um, well, <clears throat> I mean, I think people, if you follow the industry, um, the the empowering creators was was very similar in in to what was happening in the music business. So that was a cool connection there. I love helping creators. I love helping people who have ideas come to fruition. So at Maker. Describe Maker to people, just in case they don't know or, or remember. Maker started as a very um, idea of like empowering creators to not need to go through the Hollywood system to get their ideas out there. Some of the founders basically uh, had gone through the Hollywood, you know, the Hollywood mill of people rejecting you. And then on YouTube, they're like, well, we'll just make this idea and put it up. And now tons of people are watching it. And, and then from there it said, well, we should make a company that empowers and allows anyone who has ideas to go through this direct to consumer route as opposed to going only the Hollywood route. Network of creators started here in LA. Network of creators started here in LA. Dislodges the middleman and says, look, why don't we work together and directly, directly produce and distribute 
And when we do that, we have power. That's right. And we will provide the infrastructure pieces you might be missing. We'll provide you initially, and it was it was it grew globally, but it started in the LA scene. So like there were cameras and editing bays and sets and things that you could use to enhance. So you had some help. So it's like I've got an idea. Like I'm going to go down to Maker and we'll figure out a way to get this person what they need to get their show out there. So it was shared resources. Um, allowing that direct-to-consumer production of your content to be a little bit better than if you're just doing it on your own. What was the moment when you were at Maker when you were like, "Holy shit! Like, this is this is hitting," and I sort of feel like a big star, and like this is Hollywood. Like, tell me how that works. Well, the the moment that I knew it was for me and that this was going to be a big thing was when I first met with the founder, uh, Danny Zapp, and he gave me a tour, and every square foot of the space they had, people were making content. And I was thinking like to these like record companies and big offices where no one's making anything. They're all just talking about what other people made. And yeah. they have huge offices and there's all this space. And our budgets. Yeah, no one's making anything. Like the recording studios aren't even in the, the like that seems so crazy. Every square guy's standing on a chair shooting something, another guy's in a corner editing it. Um, and I remember I remember thinking this is a much better use of just real estate in terms of how much content's being created. But I also remember um, the efficiency with which the cameraman was producing and directing. And there was even a conversation, which again, no one used to care about YouTube optimization at this time. Like yeah. it was like a nerdy, weird thing. Now it's like books and science and everyone knows you need it. But then people just didn't get excited about it. And so I remember one of the producers while he was filming and directing, or sorry, the cameraman, while he was filming and producing, he he threw something out about like, oh, and we'll use this for the thumbnail. Like he was building yeah. the optimization process. One guy doing it all and, and like trying to get like anyone to optimize for thumbnails was like a, a pain in the ass. Here they were building that into the creative. And I was like, this is the way it's going to go. You have to build your distribution, your optimization, your understanding the way the flows of content work. That needs to start before the camera even rolls. And I saw all this happening in like one rush moment, like, and it was happening all around me. And I was just like, this, this is it. Like, it was intense. That's incredible. It was really it's, cool. it, I, I have to say, it was a really great feeling knowing that this ecosystem was being built. Hollywood, I had moved down to LA. I was one, I was the first person YouTube sent to, to open up Los Angeles back in the day. I was just on my own. Yeah. And to see this start to explode yeah. uh, down here was how, just su such an exciting feeling. How were you reporting back up? Like when you were going back up? Well, work, I mean, I, like, was, I was only for happening. a short time, but I was like, I was like, man, like I don't think people get it up there in Silicon Valley. This business... The YouTube ecosystem is happening here in Los Angeles. Yeah. And I think that Maker Studios, Fullscreen, and other companies made that a reality. a reality. Hey, everybody, this is Ben. So I wanted to take a second away from the podcast to tell you we are now offering chance bending coaching. So it's an exciting, I'm so excited about this. It's crazy. Basically, we offer a program where we help entrepreneurs get results. First and foremost, we help you get results. We have incredible testimonials. We've helped so many people over the last year or so. And I think you're going to love this program. We give you an actionable plan. We teach you how to run business models. We really just help you move toward that entrepreneurial life you were meant to lead. So pure and simple, we create business results. If you act now, we have a special, just go to bensmith.tv. We have $100 off. It's so affordable, guys. It's like, I can't believe we can offer it at this price. Like right now we're offering coaching at $297 a month. I don't know anybody that can meet 
that price. That's what we're doing. You get all sorts of media, you get modules, you get courses, you get all sorts of stuff. It's like, I, I'm so pumped to offer this to you. So go again, bensmith.tv, click join now, join the Chance Bending Network. It's awesome. Um, all right, back back to the podcast. Yeah, I, I think what what brought drew me to you and what I was talking about the moment with the thumbnail was like, it was very clear that that as maybe a little bit differently from the record industry is like in this business, in this version of the content business, big brains were required. Yeah, that was like a really cool thing for me to, to realize because at, at the record companies, I was very fortunate to have bought a, a, a leader and a boss and a chairman and Tom Wally who stacked his decks with smart people. Most of the music industry was not like that. In fact, they kind of like made fun of the, the smart people. It was like it's all about culture. It was all about vibe. It was all about, and that's super important. But but when you control distribution, you control radio play, and you control MTV, and, and all your job to do is to get those things placed, you don't need a lot of brains. You need more hustle. There's no really smart strategy that's going to like, oh, we're going to mail out you know promo gears and T-shirts this year to try to get the, you know what I mean? It's just all more hustle. YouTube ecosystem required brains to penetrate. And so yeah. when you came in with, with your tracking system and everything yeah. you're doing, it was like, okay, here's a guy who's approaching it from the brains angle. And I remember that's why I resonated because it was like clear that there were going to need to be a lot of smart people to make this work. Yeah, and I think that the reality, just from a very macro sense, was like, okay, th if there's no middleman, you're competing against everybody. And so if you're competing against everybody, you do need smart people to go to war. Like yeah. that is, that's the reality. Yeah. So Maker... Uh, is acquired by Disney for, I don't know, $500, $600 million, something, something in there. Uh, you, you leave, ultimately. Uh, so for the last few years, you've been working in different areas. Is that... Or, or yeah. Tell, so the give the people what you've been up to. Sure. The, the transition to Disney was super exciting in terms of just, wow, you're suddenly part of the Walt Disney Company and you're kind of a shining star. Um, the company... Um, you know, at a certain point as the business grows and becomes part of Disney, the focus starts to shift a little bit to the revenue and to just, just operationally. Like Disney's got all these billion-dollar companies. This one is not that. So um, let's focus on now the revenue side. We built it up to 12 billion views a month, which is unbelievable. 12 billion views a month. Unbelievable. I think when I started it was 200 million. Um, so that's pretty massive. Um, a lot of that was like, adding new channels, um, mm -hmm. but a lot of it was also optimization and doing all the marketing that we did. Um, so it just really came to be more about, a little bit more about the bottom line, which is totally fine. Um, but it was really just became more about grinding out sales quarters and there wasn't as much to do. It was kind of like job done. Like this is a real thing. Um, Disney's gonna deploy it to further the Disney empire. Just a little note about me, I just was never raised as a Disney kid. My mom was pretty strict. And so like, I don't have any allegiance. I don't even really like- Were you, were you Nickelodeon Devil Dare? No, like, I was, what, no, what I was no TV. I was PBS. <laughs> I was books. Like my mom thought like I Disney like was bad. I like um, it. So I just don't have a deep connection to like Disneyland or that culture. Um, some some people do. It's just like we got like, so it didn't mean very much to me outside of Marvel. So for me, it was just like, I don't really, this isn't really where I'm going to be long-term. And so the thinking was in the music business, there was this disruption that happened with streaming and I was a big part of that and Apple, iTunes, all those things didn't exist when I started. It was CDs, digital emerged, iTunes became the biggest revenue source, YouTube and it was like, move on to YouTube. A little bit of the same disruption to TV, we found out that kids preferred YouTube to this traditional television. 
that whole ecosystem and how that happened and how video ads were sold and, and how you chopped up big shows made it smaller. That ecosystem was kind of up and running. Disney bought us. So my thought was like, where is another new ecosystem I can be a part of and, and help build a new thing from scratch? And VR seemed like a, a great place to do that. One, because it was new, same stage, very early. The rules were still being discovered. It wasn't on people's radars. And to be frank, it's kind of uh, the first time you try VR, you're going to be moved. Like, so, yeah. so it's like, it was the same way that I walked into Maker six years earlier, saw what I saw and was like, I'm doing this. When I got my first real VR demo in 2014, which was very early, it was hard to not take the headset off and be like, I want to do this. Yeah. I didn't think about it, you know, too much. But so that's really just like, I just figured this is, I've done this two times before. This will be the next, next industry I'll do it in. And it's been a ton of fun. Um, happy to share some of the reasons why it's different and why it's been problematic. But um, but I have been noodling around in the VR, not noodling, I've been working in the VR, AR industry um, for the last almost four years. Um, it's been four years already. Yeah. Holy moly, man. Time goes fast. Yeah. I know. So so what, three years ago, four years ago, you and I were experimenting? We were doing, doing we were, uh, sort uh, of testing. 2016. 2016, you and I were testing VR, sort of running our own process to figure out what was what was happening in VR. Yeah. Were there possibilities? Is this a thing? Yeah. So the thing that I realized right away and you you came up with a great idea of how to to maximize that. We had we had both come to this conclusion on our own and the the realization was quickly like oh, this technology is amazing. But after the music business which was direct to consumer and YouTube was direct to consumer this has such a high barrier to entry that it can't it can't grow in its current state. It just can't. There's just no it way. It was a different beast. Different beast. And we, I always use the analogy of like we had PewDiePie at Maker and we wanted to get more of his views to be on his website and his app that we built for him because we didn't have to share the money with YouTube. So we'd say like, this is a win-win for everybody. Come over here to the website yeah. to get your videos. Your guy you love is going to make more money. You're going to probably get less ads because um, he doesn't need to sell as many because he has, doesn't have to give half up and it's good for everybody. I mean, and you'd be really excited if you got a 30% click-through rate to move his fans over. That's a huge click-through rate. That's huge. But, and we'd get that sometime, but it's still 70% of the people couldn't be bothered to, to click the link, you know, yeah. and watch the exact same content. And so if you think about people buying headsets, I knew that that was going to be a challenge, but what I didn't realize was that the, the people who were kind of building, not, I'm going to say this in a way it doesn't sound like it's, I don't think that some of the people who were passionate about what the technology could do had been through the direct-to-consumer reps that you and I have been. And I think they overestimated how good it was going to be that that, like when I told you I put the headset on and I was like, I want to do this next, I think people thought that that's what consumers would do. They'd put it on and try it once and be like, I'm going to go spend $3,000 to get this. And that was just an assumption that I think fueled millions of dollars into an industry that just wasn't to be because I never thought that was going to be the case. I thought it was going to be a grind. It was going to take a long time. The content had to get way better. Yeah, there was a moment in time in 2016 where you and I had basically scraped every piece of data yeah. on, on the VR market that we could get our hands on. Yeah. Everything across the internet. I mean, just everything. Yeah. Right? So you came to me with the idea. And you, were, yeah. you were saying, like, I think this industry is going to be really struggling and, it, and, and we need to come up with a way to, like, to, to do something that takes advantage of the fact that no one's using this or, or, or to build something that, that helps people use it. And I was having the same conclusion. So 
so yeah, so we built some tools and we tried to get all this data and it was like, it was interesting in one hand because we did see a lot of people were using like cardboard. Like the numbers were kind yeah, of big. Yeah, cardboard numbers were good. It was really big. So we were, I think our idea was smart to realize, well, that's kind of where it's all growing from. But I remember there was one other thing that, that we did that was a turning point for me. I don't know if you quite remember this because it was towards the end, but like it made sense. Like if people are going to get into VR, Facebook and Google have 360 video. And if you have a phone and a cardboard or a gear, because they're two different platforms, you, you just need to press a button and lift it up to your face and you're getting VR. And it was like, yeah. that seems pretty easy. I think we learned that even that was a bridge too far for yeah. a lot of people because yeah. we had a lot of great 360 videos on our pages. Yeah. People just weren't really taking that step. Yeah. But then Facebook announced that they were going to reveal the heat maps where people were looking on these 360 videos, which 360 video was the gateway to VR, right? That was some of the hypothesis. And we had a bunch of 360 videos up there and we had a lot of views because we were getting traction on social. And then when we got the heat maps, like everyone, <laughs> no one was looking around. I, I do remember it that It was like, actually. it was a big red dot in the middle <laughs> and it was like, to, I was like, holy shit, people don't even know on their phones that they can use their finger to. I, I like to tell people that for a period of like two weeks in 2016, I believe that you and I were the smartest people in the world about VR. <laughs> For sure. And I, I'm not trying to brag. I just meant like we really did a lot of work. We did. We covered I give you all the credit for that. No, no I do because like you, um, you catalyzed the thought into action that made us the smartest people. And by the way, I just want to take that moment and, and point that out. Um, and I would just share something for myself and about Ben. Um, I think it's really important to, and I didn't think I, I knew this going into that. I think it's really important to understand that there's different types of people that are really smart and can help you do these things. It's not just smart people or it's not just hard workers. People are definitely wired to be strong at different things. And I think Ben in particular is what I'd call like, I don't know if this is the quite the right word, but like an activator. Like you, you, you move, you make things happen. I, I'm really, I like talking about ideas and the fact that, um, I had this insight that that VR was a bridge from my consumer experience too far and that there's going to be all these problems and it seemed like no one else was seeing that. I had those thoughts, but when we partnered up, the action that we took was really kind of driven by you and I was able to do a bunch of smart things, but it was really like the catalyst that you had about like let's take these steps on those ideas that made us so smart. And you know, I was it only it only validated what my I already kind of knew. But the validation, the action behind the thought to have the data, then you can truly say you're the smartest person because it's not just an idea. I think that's one of your strengths is like you were a good activator for me. You I, I appreciate it. I think that we were a good team yeah. in that we I, we have very different mindsets yeah. and, and the way that we work. And I think that, that that's what's required. I mean, I... I've been through so many bad startup teams where you're duplicating efforts and thought and you're, you, you, you inevitably you have holes yeah. and, and you have blind spots. And yeah. I think you and I did a good job there yeah. in seeing that there were going to be challenges in VR. So now the question for you, Jeremy, is how did you take that information and how did you use that over the next couple of years with your efforts in this space? So because I thought VR was going to be challenged, I started to look for opportunities where I could explore on the core concept of virtual reality, which I believe in, which is, so so um, so just a, a, a quick interjection is that like the kind of the hypothesis around VR is that if you put something in front of your eyes that has a, a frame rate above a certain amount, about 90 frames per second, and if your, your delay of your head moving around 
is less than 20 milliseconds. You know, these general stats, and if you have six degrees of freedom, meaning that you can walk around and interact with the world, generally your brain will just process that as, as reality. So that's a pretty cool, powerful hypothesis. And I believe in that general hypothesis, um, that, that there's even more powerful computing platforms and immersive experiences that we will have. So I believed in, in, in that, like we could go beyond our phones, we could go beyond flat things. But I was also aware that like trying to fund a startup and, and the time horizon for when this stuff would be consumer adoptable was just unknown. Um, so I looked for opportunities where I could continue to hone the hypothesis, but not totally be start tied to just the fate of whether the startup had an exit or not. So there's a great company called Mindshow, which I really believed in. And part of that angle was that Mindshow let you create these amazing things VR, but you could export it to YouTube. So there was a bridge there. There was like, okay, there's something for everybody. If you don't have VR, you can watch these videos. And so I tried to find opportunities that would allow me to look forward, but, but be relevant in, in the current side. And then the second one was an, a, an incredible opportunity with Walmart, where basically they wanted to figure out the future of how this would pertain to shopping and they were willing to kind of spend money to explore. So it was kind of exciting. It was like, great, because we know the consumer adoption isn't here yet, but we can still solve a bunch of problems that are need to be solved and not be on the VC, how many users clock do you have? So I, I look for opportunities that I could further my hypothesis without having to be distracted by- Yeah, you worked with, with some of the brightest VR minds in the industry yeah. over the last few years and yeah. trying to figure this out. Yeah. Um, and so I think where I've come to today is that I think there's a couple challenges with the way everything's been going. The, the first thing is I think the notion, I, th I think there's just a core concept that people are going to struggle with, this virtual reality. This is the third time it's tried to become a thing. I think there might be a little bit of a stink on the term. So here in 2019. Because it didn't happen in 2016 again. Like, yeah. It didn't happen. Like, yeah. The, the sales have just not been like. So would you say in 2019, just not to use the term? Is well, that I think it's problematic because I think meanwhile, ARs popped up. So now you got VR yeah, and AR. So yeah. it's like, oh, but but AR, if you hold up your phone, right, and you put a filter that makes you have a hat and glasses that you're not really wearing, isn't that also kind of, and you share that with people and now they're looking at you with things on your head that weren't, isn't that also virtual reality? Like, wh why is that augmented reality? It feels like virtual reality to me if I'm changing my appearance and sharing it. So like, what is a consumer? Now they're saying MR and XR. So I'm not saying I have- What, to, what are those? For, for MR is where people were saying like VR and AR is too confusing. Let's combine them and call it MR for mixed reality. Okay. Which, and then XR is another group was like VR and AR is too confusing. Let's combine it and call it XR for extended reality. So you've got VR, AR, MR, and XR. <laughs> I mean, there was like beta and VHS and it's like a legendary story of how like those two <laughs> battled it out. And we've got four things that no one seems to want at scale. AR and so, so, I'm not going to fix the naming problem for the industry because I think that that is one challenge. Like it doesn't make a lot of sense. We're in this world with fake news and Trump saying things that may or may not have happened. And we, we kind of judge maybe our self-esteem by how many likes we get on the Instagram photo. I think that's all virtual reality. Meaning like, I think there's a, a gradient of like technology is becoming more immersed in our lives and it will continue to grow. And I think we need to identify the use cases where that will be amazing things and they'll probably end up being called whatever that great use case is. And it, it's very similar to in the mobile era in a certain degree where like when you were first doing mobile, it was so new, you'd be like, I'm doing mobile. And people would be like, whoa, like the future. Now, if you said that, people would be like, oh yeah, but what are you doing? Like, yeah. And I think the same thing's got to happen with VR. You can't say you're doing VR. You have to, because it doesn't mean anything. You have to say, I'm improving education by providing immersive tool. You know what I mean? Like, but there's no use case yet, so we can't say any of those things. But you, eventually, you can't, you can't call what you're doing the tool. Like, right. the, like 
It would be like I'm like uh, like saying I'm going to my car, and you're like, well, where are you going? Yeah, right. Yeah. Or if you said like, hey, I'm gonna go. I gotta go home, and I'm gonna do a conference call on my telephone. Just sounds weird. You don't say that part. Yeah, right. Because, it's a good point. So I think VR needs to get to a point where you can say what you're doing without needing to say the medium because VR doesn't inherently mean anything. Even if you take the positive notion of VR, VR, VR is training for people to learn how to build robots. VR is meditation for someone who wants to um, escape where they're at and find a powerful way to tap into their own thinking. VR is shooting zombies. VR, you know what I mean? Like it's yeah, like yeah. those those don't have like a, a super common thread. And and so again, I'm not saying that the word's going to go away, but I think like right now it just doesn't have a lot of meaning. And so that's one challenge is like, what does it even mean? How do people understand it? Are people using it the way the industry is describing it? And I'll go back to the Snapchat lens example as like, I don't know if people inherently are walking around using Snapchat lenses sharing things with their friends. If, you, if you're if you single and you're on the dating profile, a lot of people's profiles have lenses in their core profile picture, which I always am like, it's always a little bit of a flag to me. It's like, you're, I get like filters and lighting, but like when your core introductory picture has hats and reindeers and stuff, it's like, that's virtual identity. Yeah, like, that, that is. And I don't think those people are saying like, I'm going to use some AR to enhance my dating profile. Right, so, so here in 2019, What's what's happening in the VR AR space? What's really happening? So I think it's unfortunately on the VR side, everything is tied to headset adoption. So you have two ways to think about it. If you're going to roll with the industry, you know the headsets are going to be cheaper, lighter, and more powerful and require less setup over time. So on that threshold, we have not hit that point yet. Meaning like there's like the original headsets came out Vive came out with an upgrade with a higher resolution headset. Um, they call it the Pro. It's really for B2B, so it's not really meant for consumers because it's even more expensive. So while that's great to put on a headset that looks, I just point out like VR headsets are low resolution. Like a lot of people, their first thing when they put them on, they're like, this is blurry. If you go to try to watch a TV broadcast that's um, not in HD, you'll know what I'm talking about. That's like VR. So so the screens aren't even that great, but but they're getting better, but they're even more expensive. So headsets are getting better, but they're being pivoted to B2B because consumers can't afford them. So you got some real B2B use cases happening in VR, training, education, medical, and companies that can afford these things are doing that scale. On the consumer side, Oculus is starting and Facebook are introducing headsets that are supposed to overcome the adoption problem, which um, was too expensive, um, too hard to set up, too many trackers you have to extend on your wall. So they have, they have you know, Oculus Go comes out, it's all in one, you just put it on, it works. Um, and that didn't really light up um, the consumer market either. So essentially we're in this place where like, the industry is saying the headset that will get the adoption is right around the corner. And I think every year that's the same narrative. And that's the narrative again, that's the narrative again this year because Oculus is coming out with the Quest which is supposed to be a very high quality headset that has all-in-one tracking that you don't need a computer for. The quality is supposed to be good enough to make to deliver on the promise of VR. So again, I'll just say that the narrative is again in 2019, like this is the year the headset is gonna come out that's gonna get adoption. That's the narrative. I'm not sure, I don't think that I quite believe that yet. I think the other thing that's happened is HTC, which is one of the main headset players, they've really started to pivot to B2B. Like that's where the money is. Their, their, their gear is going to so be. So in VR, 2019, the money's in B2B. 
right the now. Money's in that, that's where it's going. And you're okay with that is and, what it sounds And like. one other place. These location-based arcades are starting to get some traction. Yeah. So you destination pick, places. Destination places. Those two things are happening. And I think the third thing is, is that um, Facebook or Oculus platform, it seems like they are going to try to get consumer adoption by making these new headsets perceived as like, like a new gaming console. Got it. So they're going, they're trying to bill it as a gaming console. I mean, what we're hearing, it's not out yet. It's kind of like, it's like get the switch or get the quest. Like and this one's cooler because it's on your head and it's immersive. Like and they're trying to get the price point right around there. And so I think that makes sense from a business standpoint. I mean, gamers, it's, you know, they use these devices. They're used to controllers. They're used to all these things. Um, my personal professional take on that is like the location-based arcades aren't, I'm not super passionate about them because they're, it's more like a theme park than it is this new medium. You and I were both passionate about creators and helping individuals and like, yeah, my, my take here is in 2019, we've had over 10 years of social media. If you're a human being, you want to create and express yourself and communicate. And once the genie's out of the bottle for 10 years, it doesn't just suddenly go away. That's right. Like if you look at kids today, creating is how they express themselves. Yeah. You don't just put that away. That's right. You and, know? and there's no way to do that in these ecosystems. So it's cool that people can go to a location-based arcade. It is thrilling. Dreamscape's incredible. The Void's incredible. You can get a selfie with yourself in the gear, and then it's done. Like, that was your trip for the couple months. And so, like, I think that people are saying, like, great. And then eventually, when the gear gets cheap enough, that location-based experience will drive adoption at home. And that's all good. I think that could be the case. It's just, it just seems like it's a very long runway out. So if you want to play today... Um, you have to just be willing to be scrappy and willing to be creative. You have to be willing to do it to explore because there's not going to be a big market of people for the things that you make at your house or things that you share or the ideas that you want to put out or the communities you want to join. It's just small right now. Yeah. I, I mean, the only way I'd, I'd really be excited about that as a business person is like if somehow you could build reoccurring revenue subscription into these arcades, these physical destinations, and they almost become like a private club for kids, yeah, so to speak. Or the like gym, that, like you feel like you have to go because you're paying or whatever. Like. Yeah, like we work for kids. Yeah, that's a cool idea. That's a cool idea. I mean, you had a great idea on, you early on had a great idea on, on VR subscription. And when we were working together, yeah, I was like, that's yeah. never going to work. Yeah. And Viveport did come out with a subscription service. Yeah. So I was like, 100% wrong on that. And um, it, I don't think it's a good business. So like, I think, no, no, but, I'm but, glad I never built that. But your idea like was adopted by the second, by the biggest headset player. So I, I, we never talked about that enough, but it's a good one. Cause I remember I was talking, I was like, this is how are we going to do subscription? Like it's never going to work. Like, now, granted, like it probably would have been hard to start if you weren't one of the headset manufacturers, like an independent subscription probably would have been a really challenge, but well, one of the things I like best about you, Jeremy, is that you, you, you're you so detail-oriented. You're able to see trends in micro data. And, and so, and you're really my go-to there. So if I'm looking to figure out how people are using things, how people are, are expressing themselves, I like to go to you. What are you seeing in 2019 on a micro level in this space, in this mixed reality space? What's, do you, do you see stuff popping? Yeah, it's a great question. So what I'm seeing is that the, if you take out the terms and the hardware where people are craving these deeper immersive experiences. I think it's happening too. Yeah, they, they are. It's not happening in this kind of falsely manufactured industry of virtual reality with headsets. People are just doing it on their own. So we talk about like Fortnite is one of the most popular games, but it's also to a lot of people and kids in their mind, it's a place like in the most, and video games have always been this to a certain degree, but I think we're seeing with Fortnite um, because of the structure and because of the game mechanics and because of the multiplayer and because of the free to play and all these other trends, 
you're seeing perhaps it being like one of the most first successful, truly virtual places. And when I say successful, I'm not talking about just user counts or as, as in a business, the number of people play. I'm talking about the qualitative signals you see that the way people talk about it. it, it if the kids were saying like, you know, Fortnite is this virtual place I'd like to go to, but they're not. They're just kind of saying like, it's a place I go to. And when people put, like my point about the AR filters on their main dating profile, it's telling you that augmented enhancements to our real world are hot. People want to do them. People literally like picture themselves with cat noses and they go to meet their friends in Fortnite. Like, so the core concept of our desire to go to these places is happening and it's hot. It's just not connected to buying a headset you put on your head to need that yet. Yeah, I think it's a really important point, which is, I know for VCs, VCs like to say, we like to invest in bottom-up phenomenon. Yeah. Because if it's if it's top-down, yeah. you're basically trying to prescribe a solution to people. And instead, what you want to do is you want to search the internet, look for where there's activity. You, know, you want to go to a website and say, well, that's really weird. Why are people doing this? Why yeah. are so many people doing this? What is this phenomenon? That's the way that big things happen. That's what happened in the in the video space, frankly. It's happened with memes. It's happened with a million different things. People start doing something, then we try to identify it. We don't try and prescribe it. Yeah, so if you were to take like people playing video games and if, if what certain people were getting out of that is like, I, whatever, because of the economy or because I'm poor, there's not a physical park where we can go meet and talk, like, or maybe because of the digital nature of our friendships, we're far away. The best place to go do that is in some video game world with your headset and your thing or, or video chat or do those things, right? I love what you're saying about Fortnite. Fortnite, it, we're not calling it like a virtual reality, mixed reality sort of thing, but it, it is. It is. It is. And But if we called it that, it would probably, it would it would change and be be different. I, think. I just wouldn't, I would call it whatever the people who use it call it. And it seems like people are just calling it a place they go versus a, you know, or a game they play. Like, yeah, again, teenage I, kids are just like, look, we're going to go out and hang, we're going to hang in Fortnite. We're going to talk. And there's been some good press about the marshmallow concert that happened in there. And the, some of the deep, some, a few of the articles are talking about the themes that we're talking about right now. And they were talking about it as if the phenomenon was people were like, were you there? I was there. Oh, I was too. Like not, did you watch it? Like these subtle language things are like the signals that I look for. Is like, see, that's why you're so smart. Oh well, I think I'm not the only one, but um, I know I'm not the only one. I think a lot of people are starting to figure it out. So the question is, is so what do you do with that? Um, and so I think like if you wanted to be in VR, I think likely you'd want to start by again very much where you and I started while we were using 360 video. I think AR and things give you more things you can do with your phone and online, and so you have to find some things that connect with consumers that are a, a virtual behavior, and then you need to grow that out into your ecosystem. But I think if you try to start, you know, necessarily maybe in the headset and work down, it just seems very challenging. Yeah, I, you know, I, um, I think about it the same way, which is, like you said, it has to be, uh, it's only a medium, it's only a tool, it's not a destination. And when you build it as a destination, no one wants to, yeah. there's no There's no reason for being. You have to have something like, um, I'm just going to make this up right now. We'll do it real time. It's like, okay, so I built the third-party filter app company that let, that's a little bit better than Snapchat or it's different in this way. And people are starting to really enhance their photos and videos with this tool and it's starting to really go. Then I would start to ask myself, okay, well, that can only go so far. Like, 
how do I immerse people further in this? So maybe I develop, uh, you know, full full body scans, like with my camera phone. I'm moving beyond the face now, and I'm figuring out how to give different legs. And it's like, ooh, that's more immersive. And if I were to say like, VR headsets have come down in price. They're only $400 now. People, people aren't buying them like crazy, but if you have a reason, they're there and they're accessible. And I would say, what about this virtual experience that people are already doing on their phones? Is there a way that that becomes so much better in a headset that people will actually want to take that next step? And what is that thing? I've already got them. They're already virtually doing things. They've already changed their appearance. Like Now I've got to come up with the reason of why the next level of that in a headset is worth taking that next step. I'm really, I'm, I was saying this uh, the other day, I, I am really bullish about private groups yeah. online right now. Sure. Um, I think that that big things are happening right now in direct message and in sort of groups through WhatsApp and other other places. So I think if you, if you combine that idea with this idea of uh, just giving people things they need, and and live like live stream also is just incredibly popular now. Yeah, um, it just seems like live stream is happening. Yeah, and I, when I say live stream, I include things like FaceTime. Yeah, and group FaceTime. And so to me, it's just a natural if you take live stream and you combine it with these private groups online, we're gonna get we're gonna get to the VR AR space, quick you know pretty quickly. That's a great point. So if you think about live stream in a group all communicating. That's like, let's just think of it as like a virtual, I don't you want to, let's think of it as like a reality gradient, right? Like when you're meeting with a group of people regularly in live stream places and when the dialogue's great, you do, you can create that sense of presence, which people say only is possible in VR. I mean that like you start to lose the fact that you're all in different places and it's even video. You just feel like you're all together and you're creating some of these hooks that create virtual reality. Now you'd have to say in virtual reality, like, what about full body inhabitation and movement will make that private live stream thing better? I actually think that will be one of the great use cases because I think um, inhabiting a full body and communicating in a virtual space with avatars, I actually think it can unlock and improve communication over live streaming. It's something a little bit about when you're not looking at your face, you're not worried about how you look and because we all are in avatars that don't look like ourselves, you might be 10% more honest or 15% more creative or something that's like enough of a threshold to be like, let's go put our headsets on and meet in the virtual place today, guys, because I feel like we do better communication in there. So like, let, let me give you an example. But I would build the live stream version of it first and then move right. it into the... I'm curious what you think. Uh, I run a private entrepreneur group on WhatsApp. Um, if anyone out there is listening and is interested, let me know. Uh, it is a private group, but we're always looking for a few new people. Anyway... We have this group and we're starting to actually bring well-known entrepreneurs, sort of famous people to do live stream Q&As to the private group. It's a WhatsApp group. Yeah. So we're trying to figure out the best way of live streaming it. I imagine in the future, maybe having an avatar makes a lot of sense. These are people, I know them, I like them, but I've never met them in person. Yep. They don't know what my face really looks like. Yep. Maybe an avatar makes sense there. I think it does, and I think there are things that you can communicate via an avatar that we're learning early on that are very um, that are almost more expressive than than um, than in a live stream. Here's my, my here's my weird thing about avatars, though. I want my avatar to be completely unique to me. Totally, right? It, no one else can have it, and I don't know how you do that online quite yet. Well, okay, we're getting into the most exciting part now that I think, for certain degrees, because I think that just in the way that 
the norms of commenting and online bulleting and sharing. You know, you probably have someone in your life who's older perhaps who never got the memo on share etiquette like three jokes a day is too much. You know what I mean? Like, because when it first Basically started- Basically everyone in my family. Right, okay. So when it started, those norms didn't exist. Like, but now they exist. We've all kind of agreed like, Overshare these terms even exist. He's an oversharer. Like, yes. Um, so the rules about avatars. There's tons of new problems that we haven't solved yet. Um, and I see two paths about this thing that you talked about. The unique avatar path will be relatively simple. Um, the um, and I think it'll be a huge benefit of the creator ecosystem that we talked about. When the tools are in place for the everyday person to create a custom avatar that reflects them, it's going to be a reason to put the headset on because you 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 like yourself this way better and you get to see yourself in full form, and creating it won't take technical skills. Today, there's a great online community site called High Fidelity from the people who did Second Life, and you can go and you can pick from their avatar store, but you can import your own avatars. Great if you're a Maya 3D developer, or you know Blender and you know Unity, great, but that's a super highly specialized skills that you have to be, you have, you be, you, you have to be that your career to be good at that. However, it's the early version of it, so we see people who have those skills, creating wonderful avatars and doing incredible things in very small numbers. But like, yeah, this whole create the avatar that you want that's custom, it's going to be a huge drive. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. When I look at people here in LA, especially, I know. if you look at tattoos, yeah, right? Tattoos, this is the same is thing as an avatar. Thing. Tattoos are the same thing. Same thing. And then you also look, I, I always get curious, I look at people's LinkedIn background pictures and their Twitter background pictures because that's the same thing as well. Right. You know, and yeah. and so I'm always looking to see if people are turning them turning them they're uh more human. Yeah. Right, instead of just a uh like a descriptive background. Right, right. Right or like I don't know some computer chips in the background or right, whatever right. you're into. Right, right, right. Um I think the second path will be new rules and this is really out there stuff that I don't really see anybody else talking about but I'm I'm fascinated by is I think Here we go. This think, is it. This I think the there will one. be new rules about people will also want to be other people. And how will you deal with that? Like I want to sh- I love Shaq. Like I can be Shaq. Like why not? Like and so but then Shaq's going to be like wait wait a second like there's a racist dude <laughs> as me in this thing like so then people are going to be like I don't want, no, you can like think of all the things that are going to happen in the parallels. Take down notices for avatars, for yeah. people that they're not. Content ID, which Content we built ID, for YouTube, will be right. used for, for avatars. avatars. And so, but, that's a great idea right there. It's, it, I mean, people are going to use blockchain for that and some of that stuff is sure. already happening. But I think that, again, what will happen is there'll be progressive creators who'll be like, use my avatar. Yeah. Like, I'll make money. I'll make money. You'll see me. You'll all know. But there'll be this really cool thing that will happen is like the parent avatar versus the user avatar, there'll be a signifier. Yeah, so it'll be like, like a queen bee versus My a avatar army did a bunch of crazy things, but I didn't do those things. Like, and you know they weren't me because they didn't have the red badge or I'm always wearing this hat or like- Mr. Smith and Matrix. Right, so yeah. like, I think it's gonna be incredibly rich ecosystem when you start to think of just those Lego box blocks, just that. Forget about environments and worlds and digital goods and fake Nikes and all that kind of stuff. I can make my own avatar and be whoever I want. And, the, and if you go into some of these places today and you see what that means, it's 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 not like the avatars today where it's like brown hair, blonde eyebrows, polo shirt, chain, green pants, like suit. Like, no, no. It's like dragon tail, lobster eyes, like top hat and and a suit. It's like, it's so expressive. And, and, so you, might, and you might be a Kardashian some of the time if you idolize... 
you that, know, one that's of the right. Kardashians. So just those two lagging blogger blocks, the mix of people who've created their own avatar and then a bunch of people who are being someone else and the nuance of like now sex and gender identity can be totally, and, and race totally goes out of the question with these things. Like, because you're not what you are and you're not a race anymore. You're a lobster and a blah, blah, blah. Like it just that two things we said, making your own avatar, whatever you want, and the ability to, to be someone else you love, that's enough. You know, that, Should I be working on my own avatar right now? <laughs> I think it's a little too early. And I think, again, um, it's it's for people who um, it's for people who know these advanced tools. Like it's it's not an everyday person thing yet. Yeah. I, you know, I'm just because by the way, like just just we'll get technical for a second. Like there's no standards. So like avatars are built on a skeletal model, and then over that goes the mesh, and then over that goes the texture and how it looks. Like so, if you think about like it, like how does the site know how to move my arm once I import it in? If I didn't put a joint here, like it, the whole system won't work because when I go to access the menu, it doesn't have a joint. You know what I mean? So it's like it's really, really hard to make one that like works with these systems. So for now, you have to skin the ones they've given you, which is cool. It's enough for now. I'm just wondering, like my WhatsApp group and some of the stuff I'm doing online, communicating through LinkedIn and so forth. Maybe I should just try and get my own avatar in there so that people know know who I am. They get used to it, right? It's sure. two-dimensional. I mean, it's just a Sure. I mean, this is sort of like the drawing or the the cartoon. For, yeah, so you know, VCs I mean, do that. So you can go into there's a there's a whole rich world of app-based avatar makers that aren't virtual reality, which are super fun. Yeah. And you can start playing with the concepts there. Avatars are going to open up so many interesting things. So like I was playing with IMVU which is really cool. It's been around forever. What was, is that? What it's is a, it's an avatar app. And it's got a store where you can just, you just, it's on like, iOS it's, and, and Android. Yeah, it's yeah. a digital doll. Okay. Right? Essentially think of it like that. I yeah. think that's what people do with it. It's not necessarily supposed to be them, but it's fun to just dress up different things and make different people. Um, and then you can get rid of it and make a new one. And then you can dress it in different ways. And they have, uh, uh, <laughs> it's like, the, I may not have looked at every avatar, but I was just having fun with this exploration. I talked like, I'm going to make a woman. Like, and you know, this woman had like this would look the 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 template model looked like a porn star, like just gigantic, like skimpy thing, and it was just like, oh, like, hmm, like, no, like this should be talked about. Like, why is this the default female? You know, it was like kind of weird. It was like, anyways, I just think it, you can start to see to your point about finding those signals. You can start to see some of these things. There may be a reason they look like that. Maybe they've gotten ten years of data that says that if they don't look like that, no one likes to play with them like so this virtual expression of ourselves through avatar it's going to open it's going to solve a bunch of problems and it's going to open a pandora box of new issues and it's going to fix a bunch of issues right because if i'm running around in vr as a woman i'm going to get a little bit of a taste of like how people treat me or people are going to start treating everyone equal because you never know who it is like so it's just going to open up all these things but again to the point of the imvu avatars and i'm not disparaging them at all and again there may be different body sites i just felt like I, that was the default one it's just interesting like i bet there's probably some data or some reason they make them look like that which is like data on youtube and everything reveals what we really are and you can't hide behind political correctness when imvu tells you unless the model has big breasts no one wants to use it like so bullet point for me how are you personally playing 2019 with with these trends i'm basically um looking backwards a little bit so like 
I think some of the things that I was really good at in terms of video and social and YouTube, I'm trying to take those things and instead of um, bring VR backwards into those trends, I'm trying to take those trends and apply them to things that are happening today, but that are virtual reality, even though they don't have a headset. So things like, again, like things that are happening with IMVU or app avatar things. Like I think the learnings, they'll never be as profoundly disruptive as when you inhabit it, just looking at the screen. But I think the core learnings for some of the things the VR industry is trying to do are actually out there and happening. And so, and they're more based in the social um, structure that exists today. So I'm kind of looking backwards to pull that forward as opposed to trying to push that future back onto that ecosystem. Got it. If that makes sense. I think, the, and I think I'm still, so does that, does that make sense? Yeah. I'm not yeah, sure if it really does, but I think there's a little bit of me left because I do love VR. I do have it in my house and I am passionate about it. I think there's an unfortunate thing for those of us who are really passionate about it is like gaming is the lowest common denominator. So we got like LB, E arcades that are more like Disney World. You got B2B for training, and then you got, you know, it being perceived as a new video pl game platform. None of those things are like the reasons why real VR and Agilus got into the space. Like, those are such like rote uses of this technology that was supposed to change the world. Like, it's a new video game platform, a Dave and Busters, and a training manual. Like, I, my first job was at IHOP. We had a, we wanted to think a slide machine. It was like, like the pancakes, like, so the idea that that slide machine teaching how to make pancakes is now a headset, cool. Like it's probably a lot better, but like we didn't all get so passionate about this medium because we could train Walmart employees faster and better. <laughs> so all of those three things are exciting. Um, I think the, 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 the true passion for the user behavior and virtual things is happening more on social in the places that exist today. Um, that said, I'm always going to keep a sweet spot for the medium and I'm passionate about it. So when there are opportunities for us to do some of the things we are doing together to use social YouTube influencers to get people into the headset, I still think that's interesting. It's exciting because I'm, I'm good at that. and it's a, it's a big challenge. So that's just become a smaller part of it. I like it, man. It's I feel like you're... You're doing the hard work. Like nobody, nobody I know works as hard as you at just digging in and just playing and experimenting and seeing, just getting in the dirt and seeing what's going to happen. Well, I appreciate that. Thank yeah, you. And yeah. I think, uh, um, and I, I feel the same way about like your ability and insight to kind of sometimes activate and push me on my ideas to, to, to make them something that that's actionable because theoretically this is interesting stuff to talk about. Like it's just intellectually interesting. But the idea at the end of the day of like, even in this podcast, what are you doing with it? What are the trends? How do you activate it? Um, I always appreciate talking with you because yeah. you always remind me to like go that extra step and, and get the business out Well, I, I, I mean, for me, an actionable thing directly from this podcast is I want to design an avatar for me and for the Chance Bending brand. For right now, it'll just be an image, but I want to put that image, start putting it in videos. I want to start putting it in my WhatsApp group. I want to put it on the Facebook page and LinkedIn and just get people used to this idea of connecting that image with me. Yeah. Right? Because that means within a matter of time, Perhaps it's it's in Fortnite or somewhere else. I can go in there, use that, and will be identified. And and I think that's an important connection. It's a small step to take, but I think it's an important step. I think so too. Sweet. So, so what's what's next for you, man? Um, so I always like to um, have a couple of consulting clients or, or be active. So I have a couple of projects. Uh, um, I'm working with the big university on some of their VR, AR stuff, which is fulfilling because their goal is to explore the medium and figure out how students can can um, can be a part of this. And so there's a real actionable thing there of like, how can we do this? 
Um, also, to, to my point about where the market is and what the consumer adoption is, there's an interest to explore the concepts about what this medium is about without the commercial, like we've been funded, we gotta get users up, the quickest way to do that is to make a game. So it allows us to explore the things we're passionate about. So I have a few um, clients that I'm working with um, and I'm gonna be in the lab, like the things that I've talked about, high fidelity, places like Altspace, like they are in the early stages. Um, I'll give you a great example of, alt I believe in these virtual communities, but right now the software itself for them, it, it's not set up and there's just tons of issues. For example, there was a great town hall in Altspace where you're supposed to learn how to do this thing and, and no one really understood like how to regulate the question and answer part of it. Um, when you're typing it, it's just a stream of stuff, but when there's a bunch of virtual avatars all asking a question at the same time, it was really, it was like, this isn't work. Like we should take this out of VR and get back on a chat room because- It was like a town hall in like 1697 or something. Yeah, and it was like, yeah. and there's different controls to mute people, but also in VR, the audio is already kind of choppy. So it's like, no one can break through. And like, then they were like, well, why don't you just raise your hand if you had a question? It's like, it's like, ooh, that works. That's kind of cool. That felt good. But like, it didn't start with the raise your hand. It started with, if you have a question, speak up. And then it was like, <laughs> it was like, yeah, so it's right. like, wow, this fundamental thing of how these avatars coexist and don't talk with each other hasn't been figured out yet. but. So I'm, I got I got half the time in the lab where I'm in headsets and on things, trying things and taking notes and recording them and going back and watching them. I OBS capture every VR session and go back and look at it and try to see if I if I caught anything. Um, then I have my clients and um, and hopefully and then I'll come back on this podcast. Will, will you and I be hanging out in Fortnite in the next year or two? Predict, <laughs> prediction here. Yes, or so, we should be doing it tomorrow. Like, all right, let's <laughs> let's go hang out in Fortnite. We should. Let's I work think, on it. I think the interesting thing about Fortnite is like ask di different questions of kids, or, or if you're kids, like you know, one question to ask to get to the insights is like, do they, you know, do they play more? Or do they watch videos more? Like a lot of kids be like, I watch more videos of it than I play. Um, and also, I think another interesting question is ask if they're good at it. That can open a really interesting dialogue about why they really use it, because it. people aren't all great at it. And it's like a lot of people suck at it, but they still go in because they don't want to miss out on what's happening. And those little cues and those questions can kind of give you that deeper insight about why they're really using it. I love it. I love it. So, Jeremy, where where can people find you if they're if if they're vibing with some of some of the stuff you're saying? Where can they find check you? out at, at uh, Jblog, like J Dog with two G's, but Jblog. So J B L O G G. Those are all my social handles. That's also my website, Jblog.com. Um, I haven't been posting actively. Uh, as much, so so it won't be as vibrant, but it's going to start to pick up again. I've got a lot of good stuff to to be sharing soon. So yeah, I know uh, behind the scenes you have a ton of really cool things going on. So I'm sure you'll be sharing a lot of cool stuff through 2019. Yeah, so, Instagram, uh, Twitter, yeah. website, alljblog.com or at jblog. Yeah, we'll have to have you back and just start. I think what we should do is we should have you back, and we should actually just start looking at different things on video and being like, that's cool, that's not cool. Yeah. That's working, that's I like not that. working. You I wanna think do I, that? I think another thing that we could do is we could do a podcast as our avatars. Um, it could be really interesting too. So we do this exact same thing, but we'll both be in a virtual thing doing the same podcast. I like that. Let's cool. do that. Cool. All right, all right, till next time.